You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Let's get into the word this morning. One thing I always do before I speak is I like to have you guys participate with me because I don't like just preaching to a whole bunch of cardboard cutouts. You know, they did that during COVID with football and basketball games. It's like, that must be miserable to have like the simulated sound in the stadium. That's not how we do it here at church. I want you guys to participate and be a part of me. I don't want to preach at you. I want to talk with you. So go ahead and repeat after me. Just say, I expect, I I receive, I I do. And so the reason I want you guys to repeat that is, number one, I want you guys to be participants in what we're talking about this morning. But I also want to set our hearts in a state of expectation. Because here's what I believe. When we come to God with expectation, God meets us with his reality, and his reality always surpasses our expectation. And so if we're sitting here and we expect to receive something from God, God's not just going to meet you, but he's going to go beyond that. But here's the thing, we can't just expect and then God have, have God drop something in our lap and then we don't receive it. You know, I worked at Nike for five years, second best job I ever had, second to River City Church, of course. Um, but I had so many guys who would come in, and girls did it too, but they would buy these $200, $300 pair of sneakers. Uh, and I would be like, hey, let me help you find an outfit for that. And they go, oh, I don't need an outfit. I'm not wearing these. I'm like, What? you're going to drop 300 on a pair of sneakers and not wear them. Yeah, they're like, I'm just going to put it on my wall. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Spend that much money on something that you're not going to use what it was created to do. You're just going to put it up on your wall just so you can look at it and think, oh, wow, that's nice. But we do the same thing with God. We ask God to give. We expect God to do something for us. We expect God to give us freedom, peace, breakthrough, whatever it is. And when God's like, okay, here, I'm going to give it to you. We're like, oh, that's sweet. Thank you, God. We put it on the wall and we don't use it. You know, so God's going to speak to you. I promise you, he has a word for you today. Whether if it's through what I say or whether if it's through ministry time at the end or whether you already got it during worship, God has a word for you. But I want you to receive it. Don't just accept it. I want you to receive it. And the difference between accepting and receiving is when you receive something, you put it to use. You see, God doesn't, God always speaks with action. You know, the Bible says faith without works is dead. And so when God drops a word, when God drops freedom or breakthrough in us, he wants to see action in our lives. You see, God's going to speak to you. God's going to move in you. And it might require maybe for you to let go of some things. Maybe it looks like you just stepping up to the altar, but something's going to happen where God's like, I want you to respond. And I want you guys to be ready to do that. And so the whole focus on the message today is actually expectation. So that's why I spent a little bit more time setting that up because what I believe is there's, there's a lot of power in our expectation. And there's also been a lot of times when maybe you've expected something to happen and it didn't. Like when Shelby and I first started dating, she unfortunately had two cats with her. And they were kind of like a package deal. And when we got engaged and then we were in the process of getting married, we're getting closer to, to being married and then moving in together. And I had this expectation that I would say, hey, obviously the cats are going to stay, but let's make sure we keep them off the bed and the furniture. That was my expectation. 
The reality was now I wake up to a cat sitting on my rib cage purring like a freight train. So the reality there didn't really match up with the expectation. But here's what I love about God. When we expect God to move, like we talked about earlier, when we expect him to move, he does. And maybe it doesn't look like how we imagined it, but that doesn't mean that he's not good and doesn't mean that he's not moving. You see, there's power in your expectation. That last song that we ended with was a song that came out in 1996. I wasn't even born yet. It said, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, listen to this last line, have your way with me. Now, I remember we did that song a lot when I was growing up. And I remember, especially when I got older, to really understand what am I doing? Like, what am I singing? What am I praying? What am I worshiping? You know, I, I realized those are pretty scary words to sing. Have you guys ever been in that situation where, like, you're singing a worship song? It's like, Lord, I give you my heart. Like, oh, wait a second. What happens if I give God my heart? Well, he wants to start changing it. You know, or maybe you've said those prayers like, God I, God, I want you to create me. I want you to mold me into who you want me to be. But then you back up a second and you're like, oh, God, that might actually be a little bit scary. You know, and so we have these moments where we pray these things or we worship these things, but then we, we start to second guess what we're asking from God. Why? Because when he starts to do what we wanted him to do, it didn't go as we planned. When we ask God to move, when we ask God to change us, he starts to do some things that we didn't expect. And when things don't go as we expect, our human nature is to pump the brakes. Like, whoa, God, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for you to tell me that I have to start treating that coworker with love. Sorry, Jason. I wasn't ready for you to start telling me to love that coworker. We didn't expect it. And so now because God's like, if you want a new heart, you need to love them. Now we pump the brakes because this isn't going how we planned. And that's why we're going to talk about expectation this morning. And the message, the title of the message, and Jason told me I needed to add a disclaimer because some people might think I'm trying to say something or announce something with this, met with this title. But the, t the title of the message is what to expect when you're expecting. <laughs> disclaimer for when my mom listens to the podcast, Shelby and I are not expecting. This is not a subtle announcement. Do I wish it was? Yes. Is it? No, but what to expect when you're expecting from God, when you expect God to change your life, when you expect God to move in you, I want to talk about three things today that we should expect because your expectation has power. And when you expect God to move and he doesn't do it how you expected, like I said, we pump the brakes. So my goal, my hope for the message this morning is that we would be able to adjust how our heart is, we would be able to adjust how we receive from God so that when things happen we weren't ready for, we don't pump the brakes on God. There's power in your expectation. In the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 24 through 34, it says, So Jesus went with him, being Jairus, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she actually got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. 
because she thought if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Here's one thing that astounds me about the disciples. Amongst all the time that they spent with Jesus, all the miracles they've seen him do, they're so stupid. <laughs> like, like, clearly, if Jesus says something, there's a reason. You see Jesus do all these incredible things. You can read all four of the Gospels from, from start to finish, and you'll constantly see them doubting his ability. You'll constantly see them questioning his questions. Jesus doesn't ask questions for us to question them. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. That's their thing. Like, like, what does it matter? Everyone around here is bumping into you. They're bumping. You're in a giant crowd. But you see, Jesus knew something they didn't know. Because there's a difference between the way everybody else was touching Jesus and the way this woman touched Jesus. You see, she touched Jesus with an expectation to be healed. Everybody else was just bumping shoulders with Jesus. Maybe they, because they heard all the cool stuff he did and they just wanted to be close to a celebrity or they wanted to be, hey, I was, I was this close to Jesus. I bumped his shoulder. None of them were touching Jesus with an expectation to receive healing. You see, there's power in your expectation. This woman knew, if I, I don't even have to touch his head. I don't have to touch his hand. She knew if I can just touch the bottom of his robe, I'll be healed. She's like, he doesn't even have to talk to me. Jesus doesn't even have to look at me. She said, there's so much power and authority in his clothes. If I can just touch it, I'll be healed. Nobody else touched Jesus with that expectation. Jesus felt the power come out of his body, not when everybody was bumping around with him, but when that woman touched his clothes. There's power in your expectation. When you expect God to move, he will. When you ask God to do something, he will. But a lot of times when he doesn't do it how we imagine it, we pump the brakes. And we miss out on our blessing. We miss out on our breakthrough because we get nervous about what God is doing. You see, here's the thing about this woman. Because of her sickness, nobody knew what was happening to her. So everybody just assumed she was contagious, so she literally had to be isolated by herself. So in, in, the, in the culture of the day that she was living in, if she would have been caught, she would have been killed. But her faith was louder than her fear. She knew, even at the risk of her own life, if she could touch Jesus' robe, because she expected to be healed, she would. And she was willing to put her life on that. There's power in your expectation. Your expectation speaks louder than your fear. Your expectation speaks louder than your shame. Your expectation speaks louder than your anxiety, than your depression, than your generational curses, whatever it is. Your expectation can speak louder than it. But when God moves, we need to make sure we don't pump the brakes. So that's why today I have three points 
of what to expect when we're expecting God to move. And again, my hope and my prayer, my goal for this message this morning is that we would be able to set our hearts in a position to receive from God without pumping the brakes on him. And so there's a lot of things that we can expect from God when he starts to move. These are just three things. Like we could, we could talk about it for the rest of the day, but I know we got football to watch today, right? Right, Nick? If you, get, if you guys see my wife upstairs, she's wearing a Packer shirt and I apologize in advance. Not a reflection of me or, or my team. So I told her it was a bad idea because there's a lot more Viking fans around here than Packer fans. She didn't listen. So, but what to expect when you're expecting from God? Number one, expect to wait. You guys don't like that one, do you? Jeez, first point. They applauded me first service when I said it. I'm just kidding. Expect to wait. But the first thing Shelby will tell you about me after how amazing I am is that I'm incredibly impatient. But like not, I'm not like impatient. Let me, let me preface that because I'm not impatient with your children. I promise. It's the, it's the simple things that I'm impatient with. Like, for example, Shelby and I just moved into a new house, our first home we bought together. We're ecstatic. But I learned something about the, my closet, which I think Shelby knew, which is why she made me use this closet. But for some reason, this closet locks from the outside. So for like probably at least five times since we moved in on Monday, I go to open my closet and it's locked. I'm like, what in the world? Why would this closet lock? And then I, I try to twist it and it won't open. And then I start jiggling the handle and it doesn't change. And then I literally start smacking the doorknob as if that's going to fix it. And Shelby's like downstairs in the living room. She's like, what are you grunting at? I'm like, it's this stupid doorknob. And so that's the thing when like, I say I'm impatient, it's those little things, right? Like if it's simple, like a doorknob should twist and open especially for a closet. There's no reason for it to have that many issues. That's what I'm really bad at waiting at. And when I started driving, I learned I also really hate roundabouts. I don't know if any of you guys, I don't know if they have a ton of those around here. I haven't seen, I've seen like one in downtown, but it's like a walking roundabout. It's not a driving roundabout. But when I started driving in Florida, I never knew how to do roundabouts. And honestly, until I was, getting this message ready and I Googled what to do at roundabouts. I didn't know until last week what to do at a roundabout. <laughs> My philosophy was always gun it and pray to God they don't hit you. <laughs> but what you're actually supposed to do at a roundabout is you're supposed to yield. And so then I'm like, what the crap does yield mean? <laughs> and what, what you're supposed to do at a roundabout is you're supposed, yielding means that you don't stop, but you wait until it's safe to go. You're not stopped. Your potential isn't stopped. Your movement isn't stopped. You're still going to get where you're going, but you need to wait until it's safe to go. You see, when we are expecting God to move, sometimes God will say, wait. And we hate that. We like things to happen like that. We literally have computers in our pockets that can tell us anything we want to know. So we're not, real, by nature, we're not patient people anymore. But here's the thing. Sometimes when we start to wait, we start to get fearful that God's not moving. 
God tells you to pump the brakes. God says, wait until it's safe to go. But to us, that is God saying, I'm not there. We relate that to God saying, it's not going to happen. But I promise you, it is. We just become fearful of, if we're not moving, God's not working. You see, we need to allow some things to pass us by until it's safe to move forward. God's not trying to make you fearful. God's not trying to make you think he's not there. He's just trying to make sure you are safe to move forward. But our impatience a lot of times speaks louder than our faith. Nelson Mandela said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. You see, again, we get afraid that if we stop moving, God's not moving. Well, let me tell you this morning that stopping your movement does not stop your potential. Little science lesson on potential energy. Like, I wish I would have, I would have had like a little car ramp. But it's like, if I had to imagine there's a nice ramp right here, just imagine it with your eyes. Close your eyes and imagine there's a ramp. If I put a little Hot Wheels, beat that, Hot Wheels on top of the ramp, and I push that car down, well, what, what is it going to do? It's going to start to move. But what happens if I stop the car? Well, now the car's not moving anymore, but it still has the potential to move as soon as I lift my hand. Just because you're not moving doesn't mean that God has cut off your potential. It doesn't mean that he's cut off your blessing. It doesn't mean that he's cut off your calling. What it means is that he is trying to prepare you. He's trying to make you see that it is not safe yet to go. You need to wait on God. Don't let fear paralyze you. If the spirit says go, then go. If the spirit says stop, then stop. What would have happened if Ruth didn't move forward with Naomi? If you don't know, Ruth ended up finding her husband and became an ancestor of Jesus. But she didn't find that husband until she moved with Naomi, until God said, hey, it's safe for you to go. It's okay for you to go. But on the flip side, because I don't want us just to move, sometimes we do have to wait. And so what if David had killed Saul in the cave when he was hiding away? Because God told David, you're going to be king, but you got to wait until Saul's reign is over. And God had blessed David's reign. But what would have happened if David wasn't willing to wait until it's safe to move forward? What would have happened if he would have killed Saul in that moment? Well, he would have missed out on the blessing of God. He would have started his reign under his own power and his own will, not under the will of God. And there's not a safer place to be than under the will of God, if you've never heard that before. God's will is perfect. God's will is safe. Whether we see it or not, we are safe under God's will, under God's hand. So what to expect when you're expecting? Number one, expect to wait. Be okay with waiting. It's not bad. Your potential isn't stopped. God's still there. Just be okay with waiting. And number two, Expect conviction. That's a hard word to receive, conviction. If we are waiting, if we're wanting God to move in our life, we should expect God to move some things out of our life. That's conviction. A lot of times people will confuse the words conviction and condemnation. They'll, they'll think that they're synonyms. If you don't know what a synonym means, that means the words, different words mean the same thing. I work with some funny youth students with the last name Ganglish and sometimes I have to explain stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> but conviction and condemnation 
are not synonyms. They're actually, I would say they're antonyms. They're different words that mean the complete opposite because condemnation tells us what we're doing wrong or it's a judgment for what we did wrong. Conviction tells us what we did wrong but gives us a way to fix it or gives you a desire to fix it. And the God that we're talking about this morning, he speaks with conviction. I believe that condemnation from God is reserved for that final day of judgment when we pass away and we stand before his throne. But there's examples all through the word of in that meantime, in that middle space, God moves and speaks with conviction. He did it, he did it with Samson. Samson had a blessing given to him from God. Samson was given supernatural strength, very similar to me. The only thing that God made him promise is to not cut his hair. And so he goes his whole life. He, he beats thousands of men with the jaw of a donkey. He ties foxes together and sets their channel on fire, which I don't think was very nice, but that's what Samson did. And he burned down a whole field. But then he met a woman. Men, can I get an amen? Just kidding. Don't do that. If you like your wife, don't say that. But Samson met a woman who had convinced him to trust her and convinced him that, hey, it's okay if I trick you into loving me just so I can cut off your hair and take all your strength so you can be overthrown. I thought that was Shelby's plan when we met. But that's, but that's so she, Samson was convinced of that. And what happened when he got his hair cut off? He lost his strength. But what, happened, what was the very last thing Samson did with his life? He was chained up to pillars and God had blessed him with one more ounce of strength to pull the entire pillars down, crushing all the enemies of Israel. Conviction, not condemnation. It happened with Jonah. Jonah couldn't have ran further from God. He got on a boat rather than going to preach the gospel. Well, not the gospel at that point, but he got on a boat rather than going to teach people about God and the love of God. He got swallowed by a fish for three days. But what happened? The fish spit him up and he went and did what God had called him to. Conviction, not condemnation. You see, Shelby and I are very big with the kids on teaching them simple definitions of church words. I grew up going to church. Shelby has only been going to church for about three years. If you guys haven't talked to her, her testimony is literally incredible. The fact that she is where she is right now literally is only God. But, so she, she didn't grow up hearing the Bible stories or hearing all the words that I heard. In church, it's easy a lot of times to just say words like grace or favor or blessings or like, it's, there's a lot of church words where it's easy for us just to spit them out and expect people to know what we're talking about. For Shelby, Shelby and I, we're very intentional on teaching the kids this is what we talk about at church. These are the Bible stories. These are the words. But we're going to give you very simple definitions. Examples, worship, anything that makes God happy. That's the simplest worship is. Doesn't need to be any, any more difficult than that. Prayer, talking to God. Boom, simple. Grace, God forgives me and helps me make a better choice. What, do we, what did we see with those people in those examples? God forgave them and helped them make a better choice, gave them the power, the ability to make a better choice. And that's conviction. 
It's not about, conviction's not about being perfect. It's about allowing God to change things on the inside of you so that you can do what God has called you to do. In Psalm chapter 89, verses 30 through 37, this is another example of God moving with conviction. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging. Here's where the conviction comes in. But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness and I will not lie to David, the same David that made all sorts of jacked up decisions, the same David that sent a woman's husband to the front lines of the army so that he could have his wife. God didn't break his promise and covenant with that David. And I will not lie to David that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. God moves with conviction. God doesn't want you to stay in your mess. God doesn't want you to stay in your pain. God doesn't want you to stay in your heartbreak. But in order for God to help you get out of that, there are gonna be some things he has to take out of your life. And that's what conviction is. You see, I think Jesus gave us a really great conviction in John chapter 13. John 13 verses 34 through 35 says, so I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. You see, in church, we, we get it mixed up sometimes. We think our job is to make other people love God. That's, that's not our job as the church. And that's what Jesus is trying to say with this conviction. Our job as Christians, our job as the church is to help people see that God loves them. It's not our job to make them love him. Our job is to help them realize, hey, God loves you. He doesn't care what you did 10 years ago. He doesn't care what happened yesterday. He doesn't care what you're gonna do next Saturday. He just wants to love you. And when we introduce them to the love of God, then the love of God can change them. The love of God can mold their heart to be what it was created to be. Love one another. You see, that, that hit me. As a, as a pastor, you know, you like, we, part, of, part of what we consider our job is to connect and relate with people in the church. But a great conviction related to this that God gave me is when I, if I start to think that my job is to connect with people in the church, then I'm not looking at my job the right way. I don't get paid to build relationships with you guys. That's just part of being human. That's just part of loving people. You see, sometimes we have to open up and expect conviction from God because only then can we become who God has called us to be. And conviction doesn't always feel good. There's been lots of stuff I've been convicted about where it's like, dang, God, I seem like a really bad Christian right now. But that's not God's intention. His intention is to make us better. His intention is to create us and mold us to be who he's called us to be. You see, when we expect God to move in our life, we need to expect conviction. If you want God to create you to be the masterpiece you're called to be, expect him to ask you to adjust some things, 
to remove some things. Expect conviction. Welcome it. Be okay with it. It doesn't feel good. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it feels great for God to convict you. It is awful. But it is not only going to better your life, but it's going to better the lives of everybody around you when you allow God to remove everything that's not of him and replace it with things that are him. You see, we need to make room for God. God doesn't want you just to do like a quick clean of your heart. You know, like if, if you were kids and your parents told you to clean your room, this was my favorite thing to do. Shove it all under my bed. Kick it all in there so that they can't see it. Throw it all in my closet so that when they walk in, they're like, oh, wow, your room is so clean. But when they open up the closet door, that's not locked because they don't do that in Florida. When they open up the closet door and all of the stuff in my room falls on top of them, well, now I'm in some trouble. Nick doesn't know anything about that. God doesn't want you just to do a quick clean of your heart. God wants you to make room for him. Revelation 3.20 says that Jesus is knocking at the door of our heart. And if we open the door, he'll come and dine with us. He'll come and do life with us. He'll come be a part of everything we do. But before he can walk in and dine with us, we need to prepare a seat at the table for him. Before God can move in our hearts, before God can do life with us and create us into who we're called to be, we gotta get rid of some stuff in our life. That's conviction. If you feel like you're doing something wrong, that's not God making you feel like a bad person. That's God trying to make you to become someone better. He's trying to help you. But as Christians, when we feel conviction, a lot of times we take a step back because we're like, whoa, this makes me feel like a bad person. We need to expect it, welcome it, embrace it because it's only gonna help. What to expect when we're expecting from God? Number one, expect to wait. Number two, expect conviction. And lastly, number three, expect opposition. These are all really fun words, aren't they? Wait, conviction, opposition. Don't you love those? You see, when you ask God, to, God, make me into who you've called me to be. God, I want to be your masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's original masterpiece, created in Christ's image to do his works for all of our days. God, make me into your masterpiece. But then as soon as you step out of your prayer closet, you said that prayer, and as soon as you step out of church, away from the altars, and you prayed, God, make me into your masterpiece, what happens? Someone cuts you off in traffic. They mess up your order at Poncheros. When you ask God, God, make me into who you've called me to be, we receive opposition. And if we're not expecting the opposition, a lot of times we're going to confuse the opposition for God's saying no. Because we start to think, whoa, shouldn't it be easy if I'm following God's will? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Sometimes it is. Sometimes God makes things incredibly simple. But sometimes he also wants to see our buy-in. He wants to see our faithfulness. And so there's gonna be times of opposition and God wants to see if we're ready or if we need to wait. Being ready looks like you pushing through the opposition despite what people says, despite what people say. Needing to wait looks like you shriveling away from the opposition. The Bible says in James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't say shrink back from the devil, shrink back from temptation, shrink back from opposition, and then the devil will leave you alone. That actually only makes it worse. When you expect opposition, push through, resist the opposition, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
One of my favorite worship songs that, that's come out in the past few years has been Reckless Love. You, I'm sure you guys have heard it. I think we've done it here before, if I'm not wrong, Pastor Jason. And so it's something that we're all familiar with. And because I'm a youth pastor, I'm on TikTok now. I'm not making TikToks yet. One day I'm going to be famous. I told Shelby, I'm going to be famous one day. And it's either going to be through preaching the gospel or TikToks or both. So hopefully both. But I told Shelby, well, I was talking to Shelby about this TikTok I'd seen from Corey Asbury because he was sharing some emails of some opposition he got from this worship song. And I'm not here to start a political conversation or theological conversation about the worship song. But what I, what I do know for a fact is this song has brought relief, freedom, breakthrough for millions of people. And we, there's people in the world who are literally telling him he's a bad Christian and doesn't actually have Jesus in his heart because he wrote this song. Expect opposition. I would imagine people wouldn't think it's politically, politically correct when David danced naked in, in the courtroom worshiping God. Now that's not me inviting you guys to do the same. Please, for the love of God, don't do that. But what I'm saying is our worship doesn't always look like to people how it should. You following the will, that the calling that God has put on your life doesn't always look like how everybody thinks that should. And in those times is when we have opposition. And are you gonna shrink away or are you gonna push back and resist the opposition? You see, here's what I love about God and the grace that we talked about earlier. If you believe without a shadow of a doubt that you're hearing God's voice and you step out in faith, knowing that you're hearing God's voice, not the voice of your parents, not the voice of your friends, not the voice of your husband or wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. If you step out in faith fully, 100% believing that you're hearing the voice of God. And if you're wrong, there's grace for you. God's not like, get out of here. You just lost your calling. That's not the God that we serve. That's not the God we have relationship with. But if you believe you're stepping into what God is calling you to, even if you're wrong, there's grace. God's gonna fix it. If I'm being completely transparent with you guys, the decision for Shelby and I to move up here was the hardest decision I've ever made in my entire life. I love it up here, don't get me wrong. We've, built, we've already built so many great connections and relationships, but I always told myself I was gonna live in Palmetto, Florida for the rest of my life. I told myself I was gonna be on staff at Church on the Rock, the church that we came from for the rest of my life. My parents had gone there for 35 years. I was there before I was even born. And I, and I told Shelby, this is gonna be where I am for the rest of my life. Well, then God had something to say about it. And I started feeling the unction that we're supposed to come up here and be a part of River City Church and be a part of what pastors Brian and Jenna and Jason and Leslie are doing. And I had a lot of difficult conversations with God because I was so convinced I was gonna be in Florida for the rest of my life. Shelby and I broke up a year in our relationship because I told her I'm not moving. And she's like, well, I don't think God's called me to stay in Florida forever. I'm like, see ya. And then she came crawling back to me, begging for me to take her back. It's a little embarrassing. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> but here's the thing. I remember praying about God, what the heck am I supposed to do? Because I thought you wanted me to be here for the rest of my life. But I came to realize that that wasn't 
God's calling on my life. That was my calling on my life. I was trying to live in my will, which isn't the safest place to be because the safest place to be is in God's will. And so I remember when I first started feeling all these thoughts. And I can't decide if it's just in my head or if this is actually what God is saying. So I remember praying to God one morning. And I remember saying, you know what, God? I put a little fleece prayer out. If you guys have read the story of Gideon, you know about the fleece prayer. And I said, you know what, God, if this is you telling me I should move to Iowa, I hadn't talked to Shelby about it yet. If this is you telling me that we should move to Iowa, I want you to have somebody randomly bring up Pastor Brian to me, like just throughout my day. Like I just want, it was like a random Tuesday. Like, God, I want you to have somebody bring up Pastor Brian's name to me. And I was like, you know what, God, that actually might be a little too easy because Pastor Brian had worked at our church. People knew him. So I'm like, God, I'm gonna make it a little more difficult for you. God, if this is what you want me to do, if this is actually you speaking, God, I want you to have somebody randomly bring up the state of Iowa. It's like, this is Florida. Not a whole lot of people talk about Iowa. Not that there's anything bad about Iowa. It's like, everybody hears about Florida. Florida man did this. Florida man jumped on an alligator and rode it to Publix. It's like, everybody hears about the Florida man. And so I'm like, God, I've, like, my whole life, I've never had somebody randomly bring up the state of Iowa. So I'm like, this is gonna be impossible. I was kind of trying to set God up so that I'd be like, oh, sorry, God, didn't hear your voice. <laughs> Obviously, he spoke and I was at work and it was right before we were gonna go to, our pastors were gonna go to a conference and this was after Pastor Brian had moved, of course, and our daycare director at my church said, hey, is Pastor Brian going to art conference with you guys? I'm like, oh, God, you're sneaky. <laughs> but I knew this was gonna happen. And not even two hours later, I'm in my office. I'm getting ready for a Sunday service. I was sending texts out to our kids' church team. I say, hey, to one, of, to one of our team members, I said, are you gonna be here for kids' church on Sunday? He goes, hey man, unfortunately, I'm not gonna be able to make it. I'm on my way back from Iowa. I said, for the love of God, <laughs> that's the cue. I remember being terrified, primarily because the coldest weather I've been in was like, 29 degrees, 29, which for you guys, that's, I've been here. Everybody make sure they brag to me like, oh, that's shorts weather. I'm like, great. I'm going to be miserable. And so I remember being absolutely terrified, not just because of the weather, but physically because this is where my entire life was. This is where my people are. This is where my church is. This is where I gave my life to Jesus. This is where I discovered my calling. This is where the people that I have the utmost love and respect for are. This is where my parents are. I remember being terrified. I remember talking to my best friend in Florida. And one of the things he said was that typical, I don't wanna say cliche, but it's almost cliche, but that typical Christian phrase where he goes, follow peace. I'm like, well, that is silly advice. At the time, here's my thing. I used to hate that phrase because it's like people would tell me to follow peace and it's like, what the heck does that mean? Because right now I'm pretty sure this is what God is telling me to do, but I feel zero peace about it. And I'm sure you guys have found yourselves in positions where people are just like, follow peace, follow peace, follow peace. If you like, I'm sure you guys, some of you have heard that before and it's like, God, that doesn't help me because I don't feel peace about this. And this is, this is what he revealed to me was that following, and maybe it's different for other people, but for me, what following peace looked like, it didn't look like me having peace right now. 
You know what I mean? Like if this is where I'm going, if this is, I'm in Florida now, go raise. If I'm in Florida now, I'm going to Iowa. I'm not having peace right here. This is not where I have peace, but I'm following the peace. The peace is where I'm going. The peace is in the destination. And when I get to where God has called me to, I will be in peace. And then I started to like that phrase because for me, it was so difficult. It was so hard. And I'm glad we're up here. I know without a shadow of a doubt, Shelby and I followed the voice and the will of God to come up here and be a part of River City Church with you guys. We're happy to be here. It's a blessing to be here, but it was a terrifying process. I felt a ton of opposition and all of it was self-inflicted. My doubt, my insecurities, being fearful of leaving my home. But if I didn't push through the opposition, we wouldn't be where we are right now. If I didn't follow peace, Shelby and I might still be in Florida. You see, it's so important that we expect opposition. I expect God to move in my life every day. That's just my expectation. I expect God to speak. Why? Because he does. I expect God to make a way for everything. Why? Because he does. But if we begin and we continue to expect from God without expecting some change in our life, without expecting to wait, if we expect from God without expecting conviction, if we expect from God without expecting opposition, we're going to pump the brakes on him and potentially miss out on the blessing and the call that he's trying to put on your life. My encouragement to you is, Expect it, expect the change and expect the difficulty. It wasn't an easy process moving up here, but I could spend the rest of the day talking about how the little moments in the process that God gave us peace. And that's just because he's good. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't know, God is good and he's there and he's consistent. If you're expecting God to move in your life and you're expecting him to grow you, to create you to be who he's called you to be, you gotta know what you, should, what you need to expect in that process. So if everybody will go ahead and stand up, we're gonna, we're gonna have a few minutes of ministry. If our prayer team could come forward, because here's what I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, God's put a calling on every single life that's in the room right now. And maybe you've found yourself or you currently find yourself in a position where you're expecting God to move, but right now you're pumping the brakes because he's starting to do some stuff you weren't ready for. We have a prayer team who's ready to pray for breakthrough in your life. We have a prayer team who's ready to pray patience into your life, who's ready to pray some authority and some strength in your life. We have a prayer team that's ready to pray conviction into your life, willingness for it, acceptance of it. Because what could we potentially be missing out on if we pump the brakes on God's move and God's call on our life? So Pastor Jason's gonna lead us in worship and we're just gonna have the altars open for you guys for a few minutes and then I'm gonna pray and we're gonna be done. But I would encourage you guys, if you've been expecting God to move and find yourself pumping the brakes on what he wants to do, now's your time to receive. Now's your time to hear God speak. Let's worship, let's pray. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.